Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Fundamentalists Podcast. My name is Elliot Morgan, and I'm here with my good friend Peter Rollins, a doctor of philosophy, <laughs> as well as a theologian and a public speaker. He's written several books. I've written none. Uh, I do comedy on the internet and sometimes on stage and a uh, thing on the Valley Folk. And if you're joining us for the video on this, thank you guys for watching. I see you. Thank you for commenting. Uh, oh, yeah. you know, it, we know That's it's a weird. niche thing. We're not affected by the fact that it's not a massive hit and it doesn't bother us at all, <laughs> even in the slightest. But um, thank you for being here and thank you for leaving comments also on uh, on the subreddit, both for the Valley Folk and for... Uh, and for leaving reviews. I was reading the reviews recently, just last week, and that yeah. was really nice. It's beautiful. Cool. Well, thank you so much for people leaving reviews on iTunes. Does that help as well? I don't know. I if think it does. It does. Well, I mean, so it thank you for helping. And that, it makes yeah. me feel good. I like to know that we're not doing this all in a. It helps a our vacuum. psychology. It helps our yeah. It helps our, our, our crippling depression. Well, speaking of psychologies and crippling depressions, Pete, yeah. we're talking about the Oedipus complex on this particular episode. Uh, I have been reading a book called The Story of Psychology right now. It's about uh, this big. It's about four hundred pages. Probably the biggest book I've ever read in my whole life. And is it that big? Uh, Lengthwise or thickness wise? Thickness. Okay, that's okay. Yeah. Not my little book of calm. Like no. it's a little yeah, tiny. Yeah. Yeah, because like, that's your thing. usual book, yeah. Good standard big book that makes me feel like big old smarty pants, but it's uh so long and because it covers the entire history of uh, psychology. Uh-huh. I it took me forever to get through all of the you know the Babylonians and then the Greeks came along and the soccer and then the Middle Ages and the Renaissance and all excuse me, all these things. All pre-psychology, apparently mm-hmm, psychology yeah. was Pretty born, new. Yeah. you know, I don't know, 150 years ago or something, basically. And it's very fascinating, but I finally got to the Freud part, and mm-hmm. I finally got to the stuff that I find interesting. Yeah. And um, there's, a, there's a big something, you know, as you know, probably, there's a, there is a difference between psychology and psychoanalysis and psychotherapy, um, and depth psychology yes. and analytic psychology. They're yes. all a little bit different, They're even though different. they all sound the same, so people kind of think of them as the same they're all a little bit different my understanding is uh yeah i mean analytic psychology is and psychoanalysis uh they're sort of like step brothers step siblings mm-hmm. um but there's a rivalry there uh i read about freud and his general demeanor the way he came across he had a bit of an ego apparently and really thought the interpretation of dreams was going to be a rock star the moment he did it and then everyone was like you're a weirdo and you need to go away (laughs) and he felt real bad about that and then started my understanding is Mm -hmm. so we're going to dive right in this is yeah, my understanding. Yeah. You tell me this where This is my I'm... topic, by the way. We're taking it in terms of the topics. One week it's Elliot's, yes. one week it's mine. So I suggested the Oedipus Complex. I think it's a great. Oedipus Complex, Oedipus complex for yeah. Americans. Um, or yeah, Oedipus, whatever. Oedipus, Oedipus, doesn't matter. I also don't know if it's Jung or Young or whatever. But anyway, uh, so he does this book because he, Freud, does a bunch of case studies. He's a bunch of patients. He starts out wanting to be a physiological psychologist. Psychologist. Mm-hmm. He really believed that they, you could, he could find a physical, causal reason that all of these crazy things happen. Um, that there is a reason that he was seeing all these trends. What he found in patient after patient through, I don't know if it was hypnotism or specifically, you know, different types of therapy that he was doing. I think he was doing like the ones that he basically, he abandoned them after a while. And he started to find a recurring theme of specifically females who were or had been had memories of being sexually abused by their fathers 
he was like, this is a revelation. This is insane. Like, pe- like everyone's doing this. Everyone's experiencing this. He presents it in the interpretation of dreams as well as in a speech that he does in front of everyone. This is a grandiose thing that he thinks is going to change the world. And everyone's like, no. Everyone's like, that doesn't happen. And I don't, I, I have children. I don't do that. You have, that anyone who you, it doesn't, it's not a thing. He then later, in his own findings, like in his own patient, um, the psychoanalysis that he's doing finds that his ideas weren't actually working under the the hypothesis wasn't working and he needed to alter it in some way. And that's what led to eventually the unconscious, the wish fulfillment, all of these, this fantasy uh, of those types of things and essentially infant sexuality. The fact that babies have a sexuality and the fact that babies, um, there might be a universal uh, bisexuality that babies are born with. Apparently he maybe took from another guy that got, he got mad at him or whatever. There's a little drama there. Um, and so after being wrong, after being lambasted, he finds his theory that starts working, which is apparently related very much to what he called the Oedipus complex. Um, and had, had, had idea, had spoken in the terms of the Oedipus complex, even before he articulated it fully mm-hmm. in the interpretation of dreams, but it was only later that he, he came How Am I right? Yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Nice. I like it. I like it. So one of the things that you're talking about, that's coming out of that as well. Is is it Freud is is an experiment or he is a adventurer going into a land that he doesn't know. So you right from the start and what you're describing is he's experimenting with lots of things, including hypnosis and uh, he's he probably did some electroshock magnets. I bet he used magnets. Sure they were so <laughs> into magnets. Were they? Lo- I, magnets are great. Everyone. I mean, <laughs> how do they work? I don't know. But they apparently everyone back then was like, if you put magnets up to people and you tell them they're cured they'll get cured. Wow. And then people were like, yeah, because you're telling them that they're cured. <laughs> and that's how the hypnotism stuff started. Because well, so the hypnotism like, it seemed to create very, very strong results, but they don't didn't really last a long time. Yeah. So it was about, you know, what uh, moving beyond these kind of seemingly miracle cures to something that's that's got long-term change. Yes, because he really, my understanding is he really wanted a uh, experimentally verifiable um thesis yeah. like he wanted it to be scientifically sound and not say more union and more mystical or anything he wanted like actual physical reasons yeah. for all yeah. these things and, so, and yeah and, and freud by the way the, what you're bringing out again is a freud is similar to einstein in that you know genius. If, well genius absolutely is one of the canonical figures of the 20th century and you know it's not that everything stopped with freud freud opens things up so Although I'm I'm a Freudian, as in I I read Freud and I get a lot out of Freud, I see Freud's insights develop beyond him, and mostly in the French tradition, which is my mm-hmm. area of interest. And he kind of opens up these incredible insights that sometimes even Freud doesn't realize the the intensity and the brilliance of the insight he's had. It's funny that you say that, Pete, and I have questions about this because we haven't really talked about it, and I, I want to make sure I'm not, you know, misunderstanding Freud a little bit. But isn't it funny that he opened up <laughs> all these things, and yet he himself, it seems, from what I've read, was very dogmatic in what he believed, very sure of himself, and wanted to hear nothing of what other people had to add to it or alter. Yeah. Adler, he didn't. He ended his friendship with Jung, the other guy. Uh, the, Reich, no. Adler was birth order, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. he was the we guy like that was about nuts. birth, the the <laughs> trauma of being born. And so he he opened up this whole world, but he was a little bit. See, this this is an important question, right? Because 
Was Freud a little bit? (laughs) (laughs) This is this is an issue for anyone trying to start off a movement, that movement that they think is significant. Is to what extent do you have to be a bit dogmatic, or or not? So like, well, I think what Freud was trying to do is he was going like, I have to protect this. So yes. it was all about kicking people out. So yeah, no, he was. Why he even, he even he? had a r- special ring that he made for people who he felt got what he was about. But even the people he gave the ring to, he kind of was like, oh, they don't really get it. You know, I did yeah. that with my coin. You know, you want to give it to the coin to the people who really get it. But um, so no, Freud was really trying to protect something. He was a bit like Nietzsche, very egocentric, but but potentially because he, he was right. I mean, one of the greatest thinkers of the 20th century. Isn't that funny? Literally Sometimes one you, of the you can be both you can think you're the best thing and the biggest hotshot, and you can also be the best thing and biggest hotshot. Yeah. It's like Michael Jordan. I know. It's like it's like you're the opposite. You think you're a you think you're a nobody, and you are a nobody. You know. You know. So. I don't think so. <laughs> I think I'm. I think my understanding of where I'm at is pretty in line. Is that right? I think so. I don't think. I was thinking about that the other day, where I was like, there are people who like think that. Um, anyway, we'll no, get into that. But I, I want to like, hear more people about who, that. who think that I, I'm like a hot shot. But no, I, I think I got a pretty good understanding. But also, you know what's interesting? The world's falling apart right now. Yeah. And we're going to be shuffling. The deck's going to get reshuffled on the notoriety. And uh, I think that... Uh, and you're hoping YouTubers are the rulers of the world very soon? Can That's you what's imagine, gonna- man? <laughs> dude, I watched this... Um, this documentary on HBO called, uh, I don't think it was HBO, but it was Showbiz Kids. It was on Amazon or oh, something. Right. And it's no. a brand new documentary. It's got like Will Wheaton in it and all these old child stars. And it remind, and one of them is, um, well, he was on Jesse and he passed away, but it was basically a younger generation of like young uh-huh. fame, essentially. And uh, seeing the way that these young kids who were fit, like it made me, it turned me off so much from the idea of being like, how do I get famous on YouTube? Mm. But I think we're onto some cool stuff with this and some other projects yeah. that are happening. Our problem is just our viewing figures and listening figures. Yeah, <laughs> that's the only issue. Yeah. So that'll come once we start doing good content. Yeah, that's right. God, that's been wild. Right. Well, let's. Will we jump in? Will I? Will I start with some stuff about the Oedipus complex? Yes, because no. I was trying to lay a groundwork. You about, did very good. Okay. Well, ten out of ten. But I, I hate talking about this subject so much. So yeah, let's see I what come? you got. Because it's gross. Okay, it is weird. It is weird, and that's why some psychoanalysts don't like. Well, right. Some people, psychoanalysts, think that Freud is wrong about the Oedipus complex. Yeah, he's a little filthy pervert. Yeah. And then some people think that you can't introduce it too quick because people freak out by yeah. the idea. Um, I am going to try over the course of this podcast is to give a reading of it that's both not gross and interesting and insightful. Okay. Like, I think that it's that Freud was onto something because Freud thought it was one of the central insights he had. He said, basically, he actually said, like, if. If he basically, if he did nothing else but expose mm-hmm. the Oedipus complex, uh, that's that's something that is worthy of being included in the canon of of ideas. And I will add that in the um, what I've read is that also based on like neurological and uh, neuroscience and all that stuff that's been happening in the decades since Freud, much of it has confirmed. Uh, so many of his ideas, specifically about the unconscious, they've verified certain ideas of the unconscious. Um, certain ones, however, like the Oedipus complex, because they're more philosophical, lay outside the realm of scientific study. Mm-hmm. But the ones that have been 
have had the ability to be verified have been uh, at least supported in okay, recent yeah. years. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely some really interesting. There's people here working in the intersection between analysis and, and neuroscience. I, I love the fact that neuroscience has the word science in it. I think that's the most kind of like insecure thing ever. What, <laughs> like what? What, what other science has to include the word science? Yeah, I'm a physics science. Anyway, but that's for another thing. Was that like um, a jab at neuroscience? I mean, yeah, that's it very is a little funny, bit. It is yeah. a little bit. Um, no, it was Darian Leader who said it. I, he said it in this conference once and I was like oh that's very funny that's a niche that's, that's like a, a niche yeah. uh, shit talk is it yeah <laughs> very specific jab it was such a great <laughs> shit talk I was like oh that's very funny very few people will get it but this should be a meme <laughs> that's why I mean this book is often many chapters are about basically like for psychology itself people have been fighting for it to be a science like yeah. they had to fight for it to be considered a quote-unquote science, which that's a whole other podcast episode that we yeah, get into. Yeah, yeah, um, yes. and I, and I'm, I'm right. I don't like psychology. Anyway. Um, Tell me your gross, weird stuff. Okay. Tell so, me your nasty ass. Because, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, you know what? The, right, the wrong reading of the Oedipus Complex can tell us everything that's wrong with society. Um, uh, and then the right hmm. reading of... Of the Oedipus complex can tell us the cure, the way well, to, to to find satisfaction. In I can life. think of a lot of things that are wrong with society, so yeah. I look forward to seeing how many things this covers. This covers this, and this core, like I genuinely, and actually, and the the issue is that Freud, I think, mis misinterpreted the Oedipus complex a little bit, but his wider insights allow us to interpret it correctly. Right, so he starts off, can I, like in nineteen ten. Right, we'll start off with this essay that he wrote called, I think it was called The Special uh, Object Choice Made by Some Men. I think that's what it's called, something like that. Um, catchy. Catchy, yeah. And this is the first time he uses the term Oedipus Complex. He's, he's mentioned it in the book. Mm -hmm. You mentioned Interpretation of Dreams. It's been around, but this is the first time he talks about the Oedipus Complex. And he actually doesn't even say that. He says that it, um, as people call it, as if it's been around for ages, but it's kind of the first time it's mentioned in the uh, paper. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. As you would know, of course, yeah. Yeah. So as yeah, as you know, you're you here reading this paper. It's yeah, commonly yeah. known as. I'm part of a company. Yeah. I'm sure you've heard of it. It's the Valley Folk or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so he, like an egomaniac. I know it's brilliant. <laughs> I love it. Um, but he basically, right? So he, it starts off in the most kind of like ridiculous way. Not even ridiculous, but he notices in the therapeutic session that he's working when he's working with men he notices that there are certain commonalities among a lot of the male patients in terms of the choice of the person that they love and there's three of them and he says we all know these right they're in literature we know guys who are like this in small ways we know some of the guys who are like this in big ways but like these three things often are found no matter Oops. Yes, but and legs and legs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's it. Um, no, he. Got, this is the funny thing is he says like no matter what your object choice is in terms of what you find physically attractive, these three things are there for a lot of men, right? So the first one is rivalry. There are some men who are basically only attracted to women when there's a rival, someone to defeat. They're with somebody else. They're married. They're inaccessible. There's a rival to defeat. Right? We've talked about that before. So that's one. Two, jealousy. 
that a man can only find someone attractive if there's some way in which they are potentially going to betray them. They're going to flirt with someone else or sleep with somebody else. And by the way, he notices that these are different. Often men are not jealous that a woman has a husband. They're jealous of the woman who is getting attention from someone who isn't the husband. Right? And then thirdly, rescuing. Men, some men want to rescue a woman in some way. And he goes like, right, we all know this to some extent. And there are books, I'm sure, addressed to women to say, if you can, you know, feign, you know, impossibility, jealousy, and rescuing, uh, you can attract some men. Damsel in distress. Damsel in distress, right. The woman at the side of the road with the car that's broken down. So the right? it's the best. Yeah, there you go. What, so, what, what better situation is there? Nothing. Yeah, yeah. So there, yeah, so there, this, I just explained your life, haven't I? Absolutely. Rivalry, jealousy, and rescuing. Yeah, rivalry, jealousy, <laughs> rescue, uh, fall. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. That, that all makes sense. Uh, I mean, it also aligns with a book I like that is a relationship self-help book, but it's right. called Getting the Love You Want, and it's all based in, uh, I think it's based in Freudian stuff that they're right. very smart about. And What's recognizing cr- the similarity, men choose partners essentially that both are similar to their mothers and also different, entirely different from their mothers. Ah, right. And it ah, creates yeah. a contradiction and a conflict within the relationship. <laughs> okay, yeah, there's a, there's an element of yeah, there's an element of that in this so actually because we'll get to that because because yeah, because Freud's basically going. Those are three things that why the hell do they keep coming up? Because like, they're completely different in a sense. Rivalry, jealousy seem vaguely similar, but then as I say. Freud says that the, the man is rarely jealous of the husband. He's jealous of someone else. And then Freud goes, so I'm postulating, like a scientist does, an explanation. And the Oedipus complex becomes, <clears throat> at the very crudest level, a beginning to explain why this might happen for men. Because when you're an infant... The rival is the father, right? You've got a rival there. You you love your mother. The first the rival attachment. is the opposite sex. Yes. Well, f- uh, see, this is where I'm getting ahead. You're getting, no, it's great, but yes, it doesn't have to be. But in the in the kind of let's make it the well, crude Oedipal complex. Yeah. Yeah, right. we're using these terms. Yeah. Because all of these terms point toward particular patterns of behavior. I don't think yeah. they're, you know, it's not like a, it's a categorization, right? Yeah. We're making up the label yeah. Oedipus complex actually, to explain a set of behaviors. That's very true. It's an invention, not a discovery. Yeah. But but actually, the key to Freud and Jung agrees, actually, is that the first object choice is always the mother for, for a boy or a girl. So actually, the caretaker. What's that? The caretaker, yeah. So you you're basically have this connection with your primary caregiver, who is symbolically the mother, doesn't have to be the mother, but symbolically mm-hmm. the mother. And so the the thing that gets in the way of that is the same for boys and girls, which is symbolically the father, who, who breaks the, 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 the relationship between the mother and the yes. child. So the father is actually the first rival, technically for, for the infant of any sex. That, so there's rivalry. So you go like, oh, the, the person, this guy is reliving the, the original rivalry with the father. Then where's the jealousy come in? Well, a little bit later on in the infant's life, they kind of realize, they learn about sexuality and they realize that the mother has a sexual relationship with another and not with them. Mm-hmm. And there is then this jealousy. 
of what they don't share, what what is unique to the adult life, which the child can't participate in. With the realization that the child can't participate in it, both because of cues that they're being given on a social level and also because the father is a very large figure that could kill them. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. In this, the original, yeah, absolutely, Oedipus complex, which, as I'm guessing everyone knows, comes from the idea of Oedipus in the Greek myth, wants to kill his father to sleep with his mother. He doesn't know it's his mother, but he does, right? So yeah, so there's this there's this fear of the father figure. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the third one, rescuing, for Freud, his first theory is, well, your mother gives you life and you're indebted, right? Just like a religious person feels this indebtedness to God that's not economic, you can never repay it, which means you're even more indebted, mm-hmm, right? Because mm-hmm. if you can pay for something, you're not that indebted. Whenever you can't pay for it, you're even more indebted. And so- Dependent you know, upon, yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely dependent. So your mother gives you life. So there is this desire to return the favor, to give life oh, back interesting. to Oh, interesting. Uh, idea of reciprocity? Yeah. Of like kind it's of like, born into us? Recipro- more kind of like because it's not reciprocity as in you don't feel you have to give back the gift but you feel that this massive gift has been given to you your mother has you know and even symbolically given life to you but then realistically changed you know given up lots of their desires lots of their other interests has given so much to you that um the okay. the adult wants the, the adult male who finds a substitute mother wants to give her something and of course symbolically or metonomically wants to give her life give her a child because she that she has given him life so he wants to give her life so child okay so th- th- this is just I a mean, very it makes crude, sense it, it, makes it's, sense. it, it, it checks out it seems a little thin yes. and i don't know why it's no little, it is a little thin it okay. is a little thin this is all wrong but the wrong things start in the right right things start in the wrong place right? right just like most scientific theories start in a very crude way and then get better and sharper and better so like the guy who made phrenology that you could yeah. feel people's skulls and was like sure of itself of himself and measured everybody's skulls and was like these big eyebrows mean you're a killer and then later people were like that doesn't make any sense and it led to neuro uh, yeah. what someone called neuroscience yeah because the idea was like the brain would be different shapes, different shapes, depending on, and the, then that would affect the bone structure yes. that there's held with it. So it kind of it does that lead to it led to the truth, so, yeah, 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 yeah. And Hegel, like who didn't believe in phrenology at all, yeah, brings out this kind of deep truth within it. I believe Freud did believe in phrenology. Did he? Oh. I believe so. I believe Freud believed in at least craniometry and all that, the shape of the brain was, oh, but right. everyone did, or, or at least was like, yeah, intri- intrigued by. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those questions. Yeah, uh, yeah it was uh, also another fun one that I learned is that Hippocrates, the guy that the Hippocratic Oath do no harm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hippocrates believed that killed lots of people, lots, yeah, of people. lots of people, <laughs> uh, a, an actually infinite amount of people, like yeah. a, an incalculable amount of people, yeah. <laughs> because he uh, he believed that the four your body was based on. Um, any body problem was based on the, an imbalance of the four spirits, essentially, that you had, like earth, wind, fire, and water, and they had bodily equivalents. So, like, blood was, you know, fire, and bile was earth, and all that stuff. And so he came up with bloodletting, yeah, that killed just everyone. <laughs> That's funny, yeah. I think it's very funny. That's it. Excuse oh, me. Yeah. oh, my God. We'll yeah. cut that out. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to actually burp. Anyway, let's uh, continue. But, you know, that, by the way, that when you see the origins of sophisticated thought and you go, oh, that starts with things like, I think, 
you know, the whole world is made of water because water can be tough ice and it can be steam, which is, uh, you know, like, a, mm-hmm. like clouds or whatever, and it can be liquid. So, you know, you go like, that's a ridiculous theory, but actually that's the beginning of kind of scientific thought. You know? Yeah. There's also like, yeah. yeah, the sun rotating around the earth being like, well, clearly, who wouldn't think yeah. that we're the center of the universe? The whole sun is look literally you can see it moving around. Yeah. That's so funny. Uh, I know. <laughs> People are like, oh, that's crazy that they believe that. No, that makes total sense. It, you know, you still call it a sunset. Anyway. Absolutely. So that's where it begins, right? It begins with this kind of like just trying to make sense of what he sees in the clinic, what he sees in desire, and he's starting to make sense of it. And then it starts to help him help clients. Um, but okay, so where does it go from there? This is where it gets interesting. Well, right? A lot of his, from what I understand, a lot of his patients did not get much better after this particular theory, yeah. and many of his patients dropped off, and yeah. his practice started to suffer. Is that right? That's what I heard. Oh wow, that's true. Birdie told me. I'm so I'm terrible at biographies. I like the ideas. I never really look at the. Uh, the story. Mm-hmm. So yeah, apparently he, he was panicking a little bit and he had financial concerns yeah. based on everything. But uh, yeah. yeah, and then yeah. so, but he continued okay. to do it and, he, and, and then it. He, he struck uh, gold. Yeah. So, right. What we've got now with the Oedipus complex, we've got three characters the woman, the mother, the man, the father, the child. And we have this really interesting thing, which is the mother could be seen as a symbol of return to what's called the lost object or dusting, right, is the the thing that will satisfy you. So the mother is the symbol of return to oceanic oneness, oceanic the psychedelic oneness. experience. I was hoping you, it's like, yep, yep. Okay. I was going to, yep, that's yep. exactly great. Great. The father then is the symbol for what gets in the way of you getting the oceanic oneness. And the child wants to break through the prohibition of the father, the prohibition and get that oneness with the universe mm-hmm. now the reason why i say which is the wrong reading of the oedipus complex is um is that that kind of explains capitalism right we're always desiring an object that will satisfy us oh here um, he goes again everybody <laughs> something something about capitalism yeah. uh yeah. okay explain okay the- well the capitalist subject i should say is that we we all we do we do tend to try to find objects that will satisfy us but but when we don't find them, there's prohibitions. And when eventually we get the thing that we think will make us happy, it's, it might be good, but it doesn't. And so we have this constant movement to try and find something which generates accumulation. We accumulate, we buy, we we feel unsatisfied. And it, it connects with also. But that's, that's the idea is that... Wait, how does that relate to... The Oedipus complex? Yeah. Is that... When we, oh, there's always something. There's always something. If, like I, the, if the only mother, I could get that thing. Oh, I see. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The mother is the lost object. Now, well, I should say this, right? The right For reading. The idea or what you think is yes, the lost object. Whatever what it is. what you symbolically associate yeah. with oneness, with wholeness, with completion, not having the anxiety that you have yeah. as be part of being a human. So the mother is an algebraic symbol. You can put anything in there. Whatever it is that you're striving for right, right, right. that it's will the, fix everything. It's the sum of everything. When, and, and But then the father is sort of the uh, order, uh, rules, earth, uh, uh, power, uh, and, and, and barrier. force. Barrier is the main thing in many yeah. ways, the barrier to that. Now, the difference between psychoanalysis proper 
and what's something like object relations theory is that some and people have been dying to know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank God. From the beginning of the fundamentalist, before you ask, people have asked. The difference between this one thing you've never heard of and this other thing you've never heard of? Let me get it. Yeah. Object relations, who's a what's a? What so object relations theory, which is a form of psychoanalysis and it's very insightful and interesting, but it does rest on the idea that we have a relationship with the primary object, say the mother, and we and we're all happy. Everything's, Everything's wonderful, great. right? We're an infant. We're everything like, oh, I need. This is brilliant. This is awesome. I scream, wonderful. It's okay. your DMT no experience, right? It's like, oh, this is amazing. Yep. And then he's not saying that literally. He's not, he's Irish, so he sometimes uses the pronoun you or your to describe things in general. But he's not talking about. I have not done. Oh, DMT. that's right. I forget that is a Northern Irish thing. <laughs> there are people who will be like. <laughs> Elliot did DMT. I would have told you by now if I'd have done yeah, DMT. Yeah, yeah. But yes, okay. you will tell us when you've done it. I absolutely. Um, um, so yeah, it's that experience, and then what happens is we lose that. Right, we're ripped into the world. We're oh, this is terrible. Earth. It's shit, and we're now have to be a separate entity, and we're clamoring to get back. And in object relations theory, it's all about you know not necessarily returning to the original coupling, but it is kind of like you can. It's almost like a fall. There's there's a paradise, there's a fall, and then there's a return to paradise, yeah. right? The confessional Christian notion. Mm-hmm. So the paradise is the 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 child's mouth and the mother's breast, right? Coupling. Well, paradise would be like the womb, right? Yeah, well, yeah, the womb or the breast, but really before you individuate, I mean, before you become like the a womb subject. Would be paradise, and the return to paradise would be the breast. Well, no, because you still haven't become a subject by that stage. You know, you're not really becoming a subject till like six months. Yeah, yeah, you're still having to go through the whole birth process. You still have to go through the birth canal, which is pretty scary. I know, yeah, because you were just talking about people who do drugs and who think that they can go back to that period. There's a bunch of studies on people who've done acid <laughs> ah! and they relive their own birth. Also, it just so happens that one of these people suggested <laughs> yeah. this idea back in the early 1900s. And is there anything about like ali- aliens anymore. in this as well? Huh? Like, uh, do they believe in aliens? Do the aliens believe in us is the mm. question we should be asking. Uh, yeah. But yeah. Okay. Well, so, okay. But return to paradise. But, but, yeah. Paradise lost. Paradise, paradise lost. Paradise returned in some way. Yeah. But in a different reading of the Oedipus complex, which you get when, with the French structuralists, is the idea that there is no perfect symmetry thing that you had that you lost. It's through the loss that you start to fantasize that there is something that's perfect that would would be amazing. So the mother as a symbol of oceanic oneness is created precisely at the moment when we become a subject, when we experience the loss of something. Nah, bullshit. I'm going to tell you why it's bullshit. Because for sure, I've seen pregnant women Mm-hmm. There's no way. Have you? Are you sure you have? Yeah. Well, that's I, true. Want, I want lying. proof. No, there's <laughs> no way that baby is not comfortable at all. Heck, and yes, that baby is experiencing full oneness, full whatever. It is a. It is an. But uh, they don't have a signifier yet. I mean, what you tell that to the baby? That doesn't baby doesn't mean anything. <laughs> exactly. That doesn't mean anything to the I baby. I know because it doesn't have signifiers. It's pre-signification. As There's soon as some sig- kind of point I'm trying to make here that doesn't. No, but you're right. Like before signification, before the language, the child is happy as as Larry. Like absolutely having a ball, even during birth, even from well, womb to present life. That is the first. 
I, I mean, I'm saying this without any knowledge of whether or not this is true, mm. but it would seem to me that if you were a baby in the womb, you have everything you want, you're completely <clears throat> unaware of even the the existence of light, and then you're you're forced through a birth canal, you are constricted and you can't breathe and you are pulled out into oh. a world that's blinding. Yeah. It seems pretty traumatic. Absolutely. But you don't have the signifier, signification, you can't articulate it. Yeah. But it doesn't mean it can't affect your behavior. You're still your your brain is still processing stuff that's beyond its hundred percent, hundred percent, right? And you can die before you have signification, and animals don't have signification. So that's absolutely true. The issue is I don't know. when when you start agreeing with me, I get real scared that oh, I said yeah. something even dumber than what I was. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that like that's all true. The, the issue for psychoanalysis is and for philosophy is when you become a creature of language which means you can signify things. You can have a name for something. I have a name for mm -hmm. the chess set. I have a name for you. As soon as you can name something, what happens is it's, it's mm -hmm. almost like the birth of the world is the death of the world. The, the birth of the word is the death of the world. I don't know who said that. I try to find it. I don't think it was me, but I could, I thought it was Hegel, but anyway, but the idea is that when you start to speak, there is just an ever so slight difference between what you're speaking about and what it signifies. So whenever I, just this ever so slight, it just, it just doesn't quite map. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And also if you need proof of this, try meditating, like truly meditating. Cause mm. if you tr can, I'm sure there's people who can do this. If they can really reach that Zen place where they are not aware of language or the signified, which yeah. I would argue to say is probably impossible to a, the fullest degree, but mm -hmm. I'm sure there's Zen people out there and monks <clears throat> who've done this. If you try, though, as a regular person to meditate and to forget what your name is, forget, the, forget everything, forget all of it, and just exist like a breathing organism, you can't do it. Yeah. It's impossible. Yeah. Yeah. Or it takes a lot of work to be able to do, and I'm or not saying. Or a lot of drugs, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Drugs do yeah. do provide a certain amount of uh, a certain amount of pre pre signifier yeah. experience. So yeah, there is that experience. But yeah, it's like once you're a human, once you have signifiers, it's like you just can't completely map uh, the object car onto the yes. physical thing. And you get music and art, yeah. and you get all those things that are trying to express yeah. the thing that they can't. Exactly. So what ends up happening for Lacan is signifiers, which are the the words that are trying to signify something, they never quite do it. Yeah. So if you look at a dictionary, yeah, yeah there's a dictionary is just all these signifiers that net point to other signifiers, words that point to other words. Closed system. A closed system. But but with that closed system, meaning starts to arise. And in the same way, desires like that is we can never get the the thing that we want, but but by the missing it we do get satisfaction. We do get enjoyment. So, I mean, the only part that I'm disagreeing with is I feel like, I feel like you do have satisfaction as a baby. Well, yeah, there but is. But I would think that if in your, I, it's a, that, that is falls in line with exactly what you're saying. But of course I would think that. Yes. Because the illusion was created when I found out that, or at some level realized that I couldn't fully express everything. This is also the, the major difference in Jung and Freud, right? Because Jung, well, well, or object relations. Stay it, tuned, everyone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Jung's going to be popping up in this a little bit pretty soon, but yeah. I don't know enough about it to disagree yeah. with anything you're saying. So no, no. And 
Yeah, and because it, what I'm saying is true. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Spoken like a real Freudian. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so then, okay, right. Let me see if I, we've got this right, because I know we've been waffling, or I've been waffling, right? The Oedipus complex is the idea that we want something that will make us whole and complete. Something gets in the way. We yeah. fantasize wholeness and completeness. Freud, yes. in his early days, almost seemed to suggest that you can have a sexual relationship that will be um that will kind of give you what you want but but freud's major was he so (laughs) was he so bold as to say that (laughs) (laughs) you're saying that like it's a controversial thing okay yeah all right (laughs) i don't know i feel like pretty much all of them have been pretty good (laughs) (laughs) well that's the key because the freud's major insight is yes relationships are enjoyable but precisely because they have a little bit of dissatisfaction in them. And that actually... Tell me about it. Yeah, and in fact, this is, this is what, I mean, uh, in Capitalism and Desire, Todd McGowan's book, I'm doing a book study on it. Very good book. Brilliant book, actually. Is, um, you know, he says that one of the reasons why we're so caught up in the idea of objects, that we buy a new car and a new phone, and we're always looking for the new thing, is... We know it doesn't work, but we get some enjoyment out of it not working. That's that's what ties us into it. Mm-hmm. Is that I, if it, like if it just didn't work, none of us would be involved, and we would just be happy with our you know car that gets us from A to B and mm-hmm. our phone that makes calls, right? What a nightmare if it did. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's the like uh, if I had a uh, I don't know if I had some any relationship. It's like the Instagram thing. If you see a couple on Instagram and they look like the happiest couple, they got two kids named Kale and Kane, mm. and their their kids' hair is put up in a faux hawk, and they shave the sides of them, and then they do cute little like gender reveal parties. Um, I'm talking about this show called Love It or uh, Love It or No. Yeah, Love or Listed Vegas, I think, is what it is. What's it called? Love. Uh, no, Love or Listed Canada is what I've been watching. But my girlfriend and I have been getting into a lot of HGTV recently. And there's this show that has this couple based in Vegas. So, of course, I'm interested in it. And they're uh, flip or flop or something. I don't know. Um, they buy old houses and they restore them. But they oh, make, they flip houses. Yeah, they yeah. flip them in the most disgustingly Vegas gaudy way yeah they'll take a shitty you're in love aren't you you just want you want to move into every single one of those every one of them i'm like (laughs) i get it you'd buy it if you were a bachelor it's like but it's like this woman and this guy who are like the most they're just a sweet looking couple and they're very talented at what they do but they're they represent a version of me that does not exist that's very just like he's a former mma fighter she's like very talented barbie doll a Barbie doll. She's mm-hmm. a Barbie doll, and they have Barbie doll kids. That's exactly what it is. Barbie he's doll. He's GI Joe. She's G.I. Barbie. Joe Barbie doll. Yep, yep, that's a perfect way to describe it. And so, they buy all of these uh, houses, and uh, yeah, what were we talking about? We were talking about the impossibility of getting what you want. No, uh, no. The that you're always. Oh yeah, that that if right because we're always wanting something. If we if it just didn't work. It, yes. then we would be not caught That's up. what it is. You see those couples like that who seem perfectly happy mm. and perfectly content and like they have everything figured out. And I can't imagine what that would feel like because you do need a goal, basically. Yeah. Like you need a goal in life to be able, you need some kind of lack to be able to work toward. Yeah. 
but and they will know. definitely have a massive lack. I mean, that, that like, funnily enough, the more successful a person is, what you often find is they're more driven to get, like, so Citizen Kane is the obvious example, right? He's so driven by Rosebud, his shitty sleigh when he was a kid, um, which is nothing. He's he's so driven to get the object that will satisfy him that he becomes infinitely rich, gets everything he could possibly want, but he's still not satisfied. Yeah. So th- there is a, and that's that's how capitalism works. In in it's genius, is that it gives us what we want, which is not what we want, but the, the failure to get what the yeah. dissatisfaction. So we're satisfied in our dissatisfaction. The the issue is, can we be dissatisfied in a healthier way? Which like, I think we can. It's like the uh, people who wait in line at Best Buy, and. Uh, to get the newest whatever back in the day when they used to do that or people who wait online I guess now to like order the first thing the early adopters of technology super cool group and I respect that I think it's cool Mm. if you're into that but I do think part of the pleasure is in the fact that they camp outside the Best Buy or they stay up all night or they work really hard if you spend like eight hours to try to find a really good deal on something it's you end up saving money but you, part of it is like you're saving the money, but you paid for it in the time that you spent to find the good well, deals. So and you're, you're giving, giving sacrifice. That's from yeah. our last ep- or two episodes ago. You have to sacrifice in order to bring the value. So you're waiting outside, you're doing all this stuff. My, the, the least capitalist friend I have is a guy called Mark Graham, who's a brilliant artist from Northern Ireland. And if you just want, you should look him up and follow him on Instagram. He's a brilliant artist. And he's What's his name? Mark Graham, G. R-A-E-H-A-M, okay. Mark Graham. And um, he uh, he's fascinating because, right, so I, you know, I like new stuff. I'm the guy who gets a new phone and I like a nice car or whatever, right? Um, he, he picked me up when I was last in Belfast in the shittiest car you could imagine. And it was amazing. It was like so rough, like you couldn't believe it. And it, the, he, he said, Pete, where do you feel this? And he put his foot down and it just like, Right, went to by 10 miles an hour in 10 minutes. Like, there's nothing, it's the shittiest car, dense, it's a mess. And I realized that, right, all of us are, are satisfied by dissatisfaction, right? But it was in capitalism where it's hidden, so we don't really realize it. And it's getting the next house, the next car, the next this, the next that. The, but my friend Mark is he directly enjoys his dissatisfaction. So he directly enjoys that he's got this uh, Colombo car. It's basically a car like the Lieutenant yeah. Colombo. And what the reason why I say he's the least capitalist person I know is because... You're the only person in the world who watches Colombo or has watched Colombo. <laughs> that man, I love. <laughs> I love when you reference it because I'm like, I get it. I know who you're talking about. I love Colombo. Yeah, he's amazing. I know you do. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and, and Colombo is the least capitalist guy. Um, it, it, I mean, that's why I like Colombo. It's a very, because Colombo is completely satisfied with his dissatisfaction. He drives a shitty car. Yeah. He's got his, his relationship with his wife is beautifully rubbish. Like, you yeah, know, it's a little hipstery. It's the new hipster. It's yeah, a little like, but, but he's not hipster. He's before hip, he's, yeah, yeah. he's pre hipster. I mean, but it's hipster <laughs> in the same way. It's like, look how much I don't like nice things. And yeah, although like, yeah, the I, hipster is self-consciously like that, yeah. which means the hipster is the, the the paradigm of of capitalism. Because what the hipster tries to do is is instigate sacrifice so as to be able to enjoy. Let's get back to that. Okay. Oh, yeah, okay. Sorry. Sorry. We're getting off track yeah. with all these tangents, mm. but uh, 
it's fun to talk about. I mean, clearly, I'm doing my job of distracting you from the topic at hand yeah. as best I can. Do Which I, makes people desire. Uh, exactly. Because the yeah. objective desire is what is the Oedipus complex. Our failure to get there makes our listeners really want it. Sure. And then, but back yeah. to the Oedipus <laughs> complex. Okay. Yeah. What are we, where are we at? Okay. So, right. We're, we're nearly at the point where it gets really good. Okay. And um, we've kind of hit it, which is forget about mother, I, father. I don't know child. if I want to know when the Oedipus complex conversation gets really good. Yeah. That <laughs> yeah. might be good. You got to go to some, it's a, it's a private area of porn hub. Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, we're, forget about the mother, the father, the child. It's purely structural, right? Anything can be in any of these. The Oedipus complex, when you, I think when you get to its heart, is about saying that we as human beings are hooked into a fantasy of, of wholeness and completeness that both we enjoy, but we don't enjoy that we enjoy. So we're, we feel there's something out there that will, oh, if only we could get that new car, that would be fantastic. Mm-hmm. And the, the true kind of resolution of the Oedipus complex is to realize that there is no oceanic oneness. However, there is satisfaction in revolving around things that we love. So mm-hmm. that my friend Mark and his shitty car is that he's directly enjoying a type of lack. Mm. And that's what love is. Love is when you have somebody, you realize the relationship is brilliant and also flawed and and there's and there's a there's a, a there's an incompleteness to it. Yeah. And that's what generates it. You're so look at that face. Come nah. on, what's your problem? No, no, I know. I'm know. you know you oh, know what no. the fundamentalist is, by the way? It's not about a, a podcast. It's about mm-hmm. me trying to convince you. Yes, it's all evangelism. That's all it is. It is. It's, it's about fundamentalist religion. And the moment uh, that I can convince <laughs> you of this, we'll just end. But no, you're resisting. I think you're right. And it's good. I'm glad you resist. I resist. do resist. It's a fun thing, but it's also a trope I do just to also bring yeah. you down and also try to communicate what you're saying in a way that's palatable. But also, I will say, mm, yes, I do feel it like it's, I mean, what you're basically doing in that, right? So the the whole purpose of philosophy, on a very basic scale, is to just to say why, right? You answer the question as to why. Yeah, you explain. But good. isn't it interesting that psychoanalysis or your version of philosophy in terms of Lacanian and all that stuff, it sort of invalidates the question. Like it basically goes, the reason why is because you were designed by your birth to ask why. Well, yeah, like, the meaning of life why, is the fact why that Why implies have, that there's a because, and a because is the satisfying thing, right? Yeah. That's very good. That's very good. Absolutely. It's, it's almost like the question, what is the meaning of life, is the meaning of life is that we can ask that question. Yeah. That, that we can have a meaning of life. But I know? wonder, though, if that's not, if that's, you know, it, it, it just seems, in, it seems like there could be an alternative reason that we have to ask this question. Yes. And you know, this is why, right, you're pushing back, right? And we can't say why yet. That's going to come out soon, right? But, right, the whole point of the fundamentalist is I'm trying to convert you into despair and you're now going to convert me into happiness. Into happiness right? Yeah. So that's the battle. That's that's, the, it is the battle. It, it's, like the, it's like Lost, the series Lost, you know? It is like the series last. At the end, they have the two figures, darkness and light. And 
Yeah, I got to get there. We're still trying to make our way through that, that oh, show. Yeah. My God, that's the longest show of all time. Well, have you ever, did you watch it the first time or is this yeah. the first I ate it? Yeah, no, I've seen it before and I watched it in real time. And it's amazing when you watch it the first time that you really believe that this is like good drama. And then you, <laughs> you watch it the second time and you're like, this is the most soap opera show ever. But Things anyway, got dated very quick. It's funny. That's so yeah, dated. But yeah. it was the first of its time. It was, know, the first, yeah. it was the beginning of the golden age of television. That's what we were saying at the beginning is like the first sign is the first theory is like you got to start somewhere you can't start from where you're not at you start somewhere right i do think that you're 100 correct in that you have to start in the wrong the wrong area to get to a place that's good but i'm interested to see how this conversation is i think that you and i agree on most things so it just it, we'll just have to figure out where we disagree yeah well so here's the thing right what do you think about this you and I'm saying this, like, you are drawn to the idea mm-hmm. of a type of balance and there is a type of, like, mm. well, maybe you're not. I mean, this is funny. Like, I, I go, like, you're drawn by the fact that the idea that there is a type of return to the law, the mm. the disequilibrium that is brought into being by becoming a creature of language. I don't know about balance. I definitely think there's synchronicity. Well, no synchronicity. Yeah. Uh, my only belief so far is that there's there's shit going on that's oh, yeah. outside of us. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's the most radical idea I have. That which is we're in a computer program. No, but I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> yeah. It would fit the bill. It would fit my hypothesis. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, my whole thing right now as it stands is, is honestly, I have no idea. I'm yeah. just truly trying to figure out as much as I can and, and read as much as I can, which we'll get into. And you're, having a, you're having a good time. So much fun, dude. All this stuff. I don't understand how anyone isn't crazy into all of this. Like it, The fact that Freud was a hundred years ago and he changed everything blows my mind isn't it crazy like these people who just change everything they change even the fact that we the way we think like in fundamental ways and it's everything. happened so quickly and to think that we're all just sort of like uh defeated in the because we're like piled on by the amount of information out there i think is silly because we're just we're getting started so i think yeah. it's very interesting because you know one sign of goodness in potentially as you say the tearing of the social fabric and all that is that there is <laughs> in the way the apocalypse yeah, yeah, yeah the the horsemen are coming um is that the the uh, one of the growth areas on the internet seems to be um intellectual content that um, like like literally people are lapping like universities which are mostly cesspools now they, people are now finding like intellectual content yeah. online engaging with it that's exciting to me what do you think i should do what should i do should i do some stuff like that should i think I you should think about doing some formal education i hate it yeah thank you <laughs> i hate the idea of being the uh the smarty pants but then at the same time it's what i've leaned on for so long that i might as well just carry yeah. it out i mean you already. by the way when i say for <laughs> really? he's already done formal education i'm just encouraging him if he wants to thank potentially you so much do something else We'll figure it out. Yeah. It'll be fun. Um, what else do you have? Any takeaways? Oh, takeaways. Well, have we even begun? I mean, what's No, your... I feel as, I mean, I mean, it feels like we've been going on for a while. Here's what I'll say. Here's my okay, takeaway yeah, yeah, from yeah. this, the Oedipal Complex, Oedipus Complex. Um, 
you can't deny it. You can't deny the idea that you were a kid. You had comfort on every level. And you have, just because you don't remember being a baby, you can't, I don't think any logical person would say that the effects that were, uh, or the things that happened to you as a baby aren't affecting you in some way. Mm. Same with pregnancy. You see this in everything all the time. You're an organism. Uh, and uh, it's uh, it's unfortunate, the stigma around it, because I do think it describes, most importantly, that idea that you're talking about, which is the capitalist thing. That's yeah. sort of like, there's a thing that will satisfy you, and therefore um, you must strive for it. And then when you get it, you're not satisfied, and yet you like the dissatisfaction because you're so used to it. Yeah. But I push back a little bit in the area that I think that, uh, you know, you can find satisfaction momentarily. You can find these blisses momentarily, and those can spur you on to the next great disappointment in your life. Yes, and I think the, the I think the good way of thinking about that is the difference between pleasure and enjoyment. There's pleasure in your football team winning. There's enjoyment in seeing them struggle and almost lose, and mm -hmm. even lose and then come back. And the it different. The only thing is, pleasure is fleeting, but enjoyment lasts. And because even like uh, and Tom McGowan and in Capitalism and Desire uses this example, it's very good, where he says, that if your team's always winning, one is it's not that enjoyable, or it is enjoyable because you're imagining they might lose. Mm -hmm. Like you have to have loss woven in, in order for satisfaction to take place. That's what I'm basically arguing is that, and to be honest, religions in the past have often provided a way to weave loss in. Um, and my worry is that we live in a society that tries to disavow loss, death, nothing. What do you mean? Well, we're always seeking the thing that will fix, that will that will satisfy us, and we're disavowing dissatisfaction. We think that's the bad thing. That we think the kind of the struggle for the the object is something we want to overcome when actually the struggle is the thing that we need to directly embrace. It's pretty abstract. Yes. Well, I use the example of my work. I'm always writing to define what power of theology is, and I always feel, but the failure both generates a body of work and it motivates me to keep trying. So it's 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 a constant failure, mm -hmm. but it's a failure that is productive and a failure that is enjoyable. And it's also a theme that works throughout the history of everything I'm finding out. Yes. Literally everyone has been completely wrong. Yeah. Who's dead? Uh, no, they've all been right. They've well, all they been have, right. But they've died thinking like the ideas that they've had have all been found to be in their specificity super wrong, yeah. but in their broad strokes, completely right. And it's it, it spurred yeah. on all these other mistakes. It's, it's evolution. Yes. And, and by the way, like what I would argue, and this gets us too far or whatever, but is that structurally they're always right. I. On the surface, at the level of the theory or the imaginary, they're wrong. But then you discover that actually at the level of the logic, any great thinker, like truly great thinker, is kind of right. Like that's the amazing thing. Like also, they kind of uh, get it. Yeah, and just to, as an end note, Freud, dude, I mean, how cool. Like yeah. he's the best. He's also the best because people hate him. Like we we all oh, find like we yeah. all are like that he's the weirdo, you know. And he, he wasn't. Yeah. And you know what's weird, man? I was um, I was reading um, no, I was reading the book after, but I was looking through Instagram, and Barry had posted a thing that had uh, the time cover of Freud from the nineties. Oh. That was like it said, "Is Freud dead?" In like early nineties, and it was uh, something he he posted as a collage or whatever. 
I got off Instagram, started reading my book or whatever, and the moment I opened it, it was like, and even in 1991, Freud uh, was on the cover of Time saying, is wow. Freud dead? And it was basically going, actually, the article uncovered that no, he is not yeah, dead, yeah. and that his ideas have lived on in such a way that you don't even have to understand the intricacies of his theory to realize that he is so permeated Western thought that it's impossible to deny his influence. Yeah. So cool. It's like Shakespeare. Like he Shakespeare exactly. invented Shakespeare. a thousand yeah. words. You know, we can't speak without speaking Shakespeare. Exactly. You know? I mean you, can, you maybe not read a word of Shakespeare, but we have been profoundly influenced How by Shakespeare. Cool that there are just these humans that drop onto the planet that just do this I kind know. of stuff. Who are just like and and even Freud, who comes off all stern in his photos with his cigars, mm. apparently was an incredibly like warm and loving person. Loving guy, yeah. And used to take his grandkids out with backpacks, go hiking, and hunt for mushrooms. Full circle, everybody. Yeah. What was he doing with those mushrooms? We yeah. don't know. Yeah. Hitler loved kids as well. Yeah, well, yeah. He also liked art and stuff. He was yeah. a good gardener from what I heard. Yeah. All right, everybody. All right. Thanks for listening to The Fundamentalist. This has been a weird, fun episode. And uh, let us know what you think in the comments below. Or leave us a review on iTunes if you wouldn't mind. And Pete, thank you so much for being a part thank of this. Thank you for being my friend. This is lovely. You're welcome. Uh, you, uh, you have enriched my life beautifully. You too, man. Bye. Bye.